Jesus is the message. He's our hope. He is our promise. May we worship him with all we've got. May we celebrate the one who is king of kings, who has come to this earth. Amen. Amen. Well, can you believe it? It's already the week of Christmas. We've got Christmas Eve coming up this week as well as Christmas Day. Just amazing how fast it comes on. And uh, man, we're in a series here. We're in a series called uh, The Promise. And we're talking about Jesus Christ as the promise, but more than that, the whole delivery that God had in mind from way, way back, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Christ, bringing the hope of Christ, promise given, and then all the way into Christ being ushered in as a little one and then raised up in Christ becoming king. He is the promise. Christ is the message, the hope. But as we look at the promise, it's more than just the message. It's also about the messenger. It's about the one who comes alongside and brings the hope of Christ, tells of the hope of Christ. And in fact, that's where we're going today is we're going to be looking at the story of the messenger, John the Baptist, and how he began, how he came through as a part of this promise. Remember, God working with this family overall and with one of the women he lets them know that he's going to be doing an amazing, stunning work of letting the messenger come through. We're going to be looking at that story today, and that's Elizabeth. And then one of her relatives was told, and you, you are going to be the one who has the very Messiah, Son of God in you, and explains how that miracle is going to take place. And we looked at that last week as we launched this series, Christ the Message, Christ the Promise, Christ our hope, right? And so as we dive in today, go ahead and turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Luke 1, starting in verse 5, as we get going, looking today at the one who was the messenger and how he came into this world. Point number one is behold, celebrate the promise that God has a plan and prepares the way. Behold, celebrate the promise that God has a plan and prepares the way. Now we're going to start in verse 5 here, but I'm just going to take the first five verses, 5 through 10, and I'm going to put it in story form a little bit, and then we'll start walking through the passage in verse 11, all right? So in 5 through 10, we see this guy, Zechariah, who is introduced. Zechariah. And he's actually a Levite priest. So remember back to a little bit of Hebrews just a couple of weeks back, right? You have Abraham. Over Abraham was Melchizedek, this top-level priest, and Abraham ended up giving to him. And Melchizedek, it says Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek. That is a top, like no greater position than that priesthood. Under Abraham is the 12 tribes. One of those tribes is the tribe of Levi, and all of them are the ones who were priests. Zechariah, one of them. Okay, so he's one of those Levite priests, and he had some responsibilities. In fact, he was assigned to a, a collection of guys. They had a role and responsibility, kind of like if you were on a police force and you're assigned to first shift, shift or second shift or third shift, or maybe you've got Mondays and Tuesdays off, or you've got Thursdays and Fridays off. Like, he was on one of those rotations, all right? And his rotation came up for assignment to be working inside the temple, 
And it's a really, it was a really big deal. It was a great privilege for them to be inside the temple. In fact, then they even cast lots to decide who would have each of the roles or responsibilities within the temple, just so you understand. And we're going to be talking about it a little bit more when we get to Hebrews later on uh, in a couple, well, probably about a month or so when we get there. But it's actually the tabernacle where they did the service element. As you stepped inside, there were really only three elements inside there. It was no windows. The curtains were closed down. Only the priest who could step inside, who had had his sins covered with sacrifice and the washing of his hands, and then he would step in to represent the people. And there were only three elements. On the one side, there was 12 loaves of bread, and those represented the nation of Israel and the provision of God. And on the other side, to the left, actually, your left would be over there, but my left over here, right, is the candles. And these candles would actually be lit The walls were actually just kind of coated with gold. So you can imagine dark, candles flickering, the light bouncing off of the gold. It's absolutely quiet. And there was one more piece up at the front. And you would stoke this uh, with some salts and smelling incense. And as the smoke rose up, it would be a sweet smell to the Lord. And so it represented the provision of God in the bread and the direction of God in the light. And now the privilege of being able to communicate with God through prayer and the priest would then come on behalf of the people. And so Zechariah was actually chosen to be able to be coming up to this prayer of incense and to be able to stoke the fire and then pray on behalf of the people. That was his job, okay? So as he steps in, Can you imagine you step into this kind of 15 feet wide, 15 feet high, about 30 or 40 feet long as to where he was walking. And as he steps in, the curtain closes down and it's dark and quiet. And the light's flickering and it's bouncing off the gold. And he comes up and he stokes the fire. And the smoke begins to come up. And he begins to pray for the people, for their sins to be covered, for their needs to be covered, even for his own needs along the way as he quickly prays out. It isn't meant to be fast or slow. I mean, you want to actually get out of it. Where words are many, sin is not absent, right? And so he's getting to the point. He's longing not to sin in front of the presence of God as he's praying at the altar. And now we pick it up in verse 11. It says, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So he's standing at the altar, he's praying out, and Father God, we just pray that you, and all of a sudden, bam, and there is this angel in front of him. We don't know how big, but again, like I said, 15 feet wide by 15 feet high, this angel could be pretty big in there and pretty ominous, big, bright, authoritative, powerful, Bam, this angel's in front of him. Have you ever had a prayer moment go like that for you? Where you start to pray to God and you're like, Lord God, I know you're in this presence right here with me and God, I know you're moving and boom. And like this angel right there in front of him and Zechariah had a proper response. Zechariah was troubled. Yeah, man, I would be too. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell on him. He probably stepped back a few steps towards the candles that were flickering like, whoa, what's going on and what's happening? And he was in shock and panic. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. 
Remember when I said whenever the angels appear, you tend to see the first words they have to say are, calm down, right? Don't be afraid. It's okay, Zechariah. This tone that's being tender is he's like, hang on, Zechariah. There's good point and purpose here. Don't be afraid. Take a deep breath, priest. You've been praying to God and God is answering, right? And uh, the angel says, don't be afraid for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now we have to understand and we're going to see him give answer to it in just a little bit, Zechariah, but Zechariah is old and Elizabeth is old and they haven't been able to have kids. She's what they would call barren. They haven't had kids for decades upon decades upon decades Tens and tens and tens of years where the prayer has been, Lord God, please, please give us a child. Lord, please give us a son. And and the hurt of not having a child in the midst, and that's been his prayer. Maybe the angel's referring to the 40-some years of prayer request that Zechariah has been given. Maybe Zechariah was praying it right there after praying for the people and bringing it again in that moment. We don't know, but the angel's saying for sure, God heard your prayer. And Elizabeth, who's been unable to have a child, he now says, Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John. Everybody just say miracle. This is going to be a physical miracle. Like there is no way she can or should that I can or should. Zechariah is thinking like there is something massive in this promise. I can't even imagine how his heart started to well up. The joy that maybe started to come in as he's beginning to hear potential. Like this angel clearly just verified a little bit. He knows his prayer request. This angel knows what's going on in his heart and all of a sudden he's hearing the hope of potentially having a son and very specific guidance and you will call him John. Which by the way was a big deal because typically you named your child after someone in the family. There was some blood lineage and you named them after someone along the way and there's no one named John in their family but he's like, call him John. There's a plan behind this, right? And then he says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Can you imagine? First thing you step back, and he says, don't worry. I'm here to tell you, your wife is going to have a baby. What? A son. You're kidding me. You will be happy. No kidding. Are you serious? Of course I am going to be. There will be joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Praise God for that, right? And he's got to have started to begin to smile and get a little bit excited, a little bit distant still, but a little bit excited and hyped up for what's happening. And he says, the angel says, now let me tell you why. For here's the reason. He will be great before the Lord. Whoa. Now an angel is telling me, not only am I going to have a child, but this child isn't just going to be a punk and a problem. (laughs) This child is going to be great before the Lord. My kid is going to be great. He is going to have something about it. That's right, man. That's my kid, right? Can you imagine how he starts to feel as he's hearing this promise? He's going to be great before the Lord. And then he said, little guidance to you, Zechariah, and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Like lead him in a way 
that is committed to the Holy Spirit. You know, Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Like, make sure and be careful. Don't let this overwhelm. And so with him, don't have him drinking wine, anything like that. Let the Holy Spirit rule his spirit. Let him be in full control. In fact, it says the Holy Spirit will be with him even from his mother's womb. Even from, everybody say that's a big deal. Like this is a time period where the Holy Spirit was not taking residence up within people. He was influencing around, sometimes even coming upon someone. But with John, even from conception, Holy Spirit having this massive influence in his soul and him being so close to God, Holy Spirit moving within. Remember with Mary, which actually would come up some six months from this moment that's happening right now with Zechariah and Elizabeth, The Holy Spirit actually is going to be the very father of that one to come. God Almighty, Jesus Christ. And here the Holy Spirit is going to be with. The promise has God wrapped all over it. And the Holy Spirit is going to be massively influencing him. And he is going to be great amongst the people. It says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Like there is going to be hope coming from him. He is going to be a messenger of hope. And he is going to turn Israel towards God Almighty. Many are going to come to him, it says, and he will go before them in the power of the spirit of Elijah. Now remember, this is a priest, Zechariah. He knows the story of Elijah. He knows the Old Testament power. He knows what happened with Elijah and the miracles that took place and the authority that came down. And this angel is like, and with your son will be the power of Elijah. Man, I can't imagine what Zechariah was thinking at that moment, but it had to be something like, this is going to be amazing, stunning. This is, that's right, that's my boy. Power of Elijah greater than pulling Israel together. This is going to be amazing as his heart is just welling up and up and up. It says he will go before them with the power of Elijah, miracle work, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. There is going to be healing and change, healing within families as fathers come back to children and take care of and take on their responsibilities. And as all of those who have wandered from their heavenly father turn back around to wisdom and justice, Israel is going to be going through change because of this one. John, it says, purpose statement, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God's initiating the promise and he has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. God has a plan. And as he's working it out and he's rolling out, John, now he is preparing the way as he's calling people to repentance and he's calling people to change. This will be his role, that Israel will begin to get their hearts right with their God and God will begin to change family by family. The promise made to Zechariah, over 40 years of praying, Lord God, please, a child. Lord, please, a son. 
And all of a sudden at the end, when the answer comes, God sends an angel to bring the message and the thunderous hope, it is now. And while God's plan had a lot of waiting in it, God's plan is now being unfolded right in front of Zechariah, waiting. And it's not fun to wait in the midst, but it does grow us and it does shape us. And may we always recognize God has a plan. Always see it in the midst. As we go to prayer and we go before our God, know this, the tabernacle and its three elements, the provision through the bread and the direction through the light and the right to come before God and cry out in prayer and relate to him. Man, just so you know, that tabernacle represents what we have in Jesus Christ. And as this one, Zechariah, stepped in front of the incense, that is a privilege you and I have that we can be called priests of the royal priesthood, saved because of knowing Jesus Christ. And we can step in before God and cry out. And may it be all about his timing and his plan and his way. But may we know we have the privilege of entering the presence of the almighty God. And all of God's people said, and so Zechariah stepped in and trust. You know, as I was looking for uh, maybe just a little bit of an illustrate on prayer, I ended up running into a couple of quotes from someone just had a great understanding of prayer. And uh, E. Stanley Jones just said, prayer, it needs to be understood as dependent worship, dependent worship. And uh, it's not just a demanding, but it's a dependency, dependent worship. Maybe let's put it in Christmas terms. Prayer is not us climbing in the lap of Santa Claus just asking for the things we really hope we can get in a few days, right? It's not that. It's not just climbing in the lap of God and saying, please give, and just walking away, and then hope and see. And like, it's not that kind of approach. It is meant to be a trusting dependency upon Him. Like when Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He said, here specifically is my request, Lord, Take this cup from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. Prayer, it's where we call out for the specifics of how we see it, but we trust in God and his plan. E. Stanley Jones said, best way to understand it, imagine you're sitting in a boat that's out in the water, it's going up and down in the waves. You're just a little bit off ashore, but you can tell you're starting to drift. So you pick up the anchor, and as you heave this anchor out, it catches on the shoreline there and sticks, and you pull it tight. He said, just imagine, as you start pulling and you're getting closer, know this, you are not pulling the shore towards you. You are pulling you towards the shore, and that is prayer. As we come before our God, we are longing and crying out, and with this anchor of prayer into our almighty God, as we pray with him, we are moving ourselves ever closer to him, to his plan, to his purpose, and to his ways. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, so do you have your anchor firmly set in God Almighty? And are you pulling yourself ever closer to the will of God, to the way of God, to the timing of God? May he get all 
the glory. How is your prayer life? Right? May we truly behold the God who has a plan. Point number two, worship. Trust the word of God and watch him work. Worship. Trust the word of God and watch him work. Now, you got to imagine that Zechariah, over these numbers of decades and decades, as he's heard these different statements of, of who his God is, and as he's praying for him and Elizabeth, and nothing's been happening, and as he comes to this moment where he's being told now that there could be a child coming, there's going to be a son, and there's going to be this miracle work, he's going to be great and almighty, his heart starts to get welled up. There has to be a moment where as it wells up, you're like, hmm. I've done this before. Hope can hurt. Like I got to be careful. And how, how true is this? And and all of a sudden it starts sinking back down. And and so he says. And Zechariah said to the angel, "How, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Like, dude, I've." I've gone well past my age. My wife has too. There's been no child. How do I know this is going to happen? I love the next answer. I'm not sure there could be a more humorous answer in all of Scripture as the angel now responds. By the way, the angel's name is Gabriel, the same one that shows up six months later talking to Mary, the same one who has talked to Daniel and let him know hundreds of years before about the Messiah. This one is massively important, stunningly huge, massive in size, massive in privilege, as he has the right to even be in the presence of God Almighty, and he's bringing this message. And he's like, here's what's going to happen. Your child's going to be great. And Zechariah says, how do I know this is true? And Zechariah says, hey, he doesn't say hey there, it's not recorded, but I think he did. He's like, I am Gabriel. Like there is a moment where he is going, hey brother, wake it up. You want privilege and promise? Hey, I am Gabriel. Then he says next, I stand in the presence of God. You need more than that? Like you have a whatever, nine, ten foot angel standing in front of you. You have thunderous beaming light bouncing off the gold walls. You have someone who stands in the presence of God. Maybe that's your sign for, for how you know that this is going to happen. Just thinking maybe, you know? Like Gabriel's going, I am Gabriel. I kind of like that moment. Just a moment where it's not prideful sin, but do you know who you're talking to is a, li a little bit of what's going on. Uh, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. He's like, reassurance. God the Father has sent me with purpose and plan. God is behind this, and I am in it with you, and that's proof. And then he says, and behold. And when we see the word behold, we say... Right, check it out. He says, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. So bottom line, look, man, you're not believing me. And I'm going to have to lean in a little bit. Now, remember, Zechariah is a priest. He has had the privilege of entering into the very tabernacle of God on behalf of the people for decades he has had the privilege of representing. He has had the presence of God just right 
there. He has been able to see God do so many miraculous things over the course of time. He is following closely with God. And so he's being held accountable for that high experiential knowledge. And he's like, yeah, you're, uh, you're not going to be able to speak for quite a while. Give it nine months. He's like, you want a sign? How's this for a sign? No speak for nine months. And you'll know that I've been a part of this. And instantly in that moment, the vocal cords stop. <clears throat> like there's nothing more that's going on. He says, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day these things take place. Until all of this package deal begins to roll out. You're going to be silent. You're going to watch it unfold. Then he gives a reason. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Know this. I am coming with a promise. And I am coming with authority. And you're not going to be speaking for a while. And that'll be your next sign. I thought I was a pretty good sign. Let's go with you not being able to speak now too. There's another sign. And you walk through this journey. Just notice, by the way, six months later when Gabriel is talking with Mary and he tells Mary what's going to happen. Remember this from last week? And he tells Mary what's going to go down and she says, but how? how? And he doesn't scold. I think there is something massive about his responsibility as priest and about his presence in the tabernacle, about his, you should know all of this. You should be here with me and you're discounting rather than trusting. Mary was truly a young one being brought up. And this one has so much experience and knowledge. And so he's being given a little bit of a chastisement here. You're not going to be able to speak for that whole time. It says, and the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering for his delay in the temple. Because again, what would happen is you would come to the tabernacle as the priest. You would wash and now you're cleansed from the sacrifice, you're washed, you step up. Make sure I've got all my sin covered. I do not want to step into the presence of God with sin. And it closes down, and it's black, except the light flickering on the gold. And you go up and you stoke the fire, and it starts to waft, and your job is to get your job done. Remember, where words are many, sin is not absent. And so you begin to pray out, Lord God, I'm praying on behalf of the people. And Lord, I'm longing for things to take place. And Lord, I'm praying for these things for me. And, and as you get that covered up and you're covered for all that's going on, Lord, I trust you and you're in charge. And you back out. It's pretty fast. So as he comes in and he gets it going and he starts to pray and then an angel shows up and they begin to have a conversation and they're starting to hang out and then they get told ways that it's going to go down and influences that are going to happen with this child and then he's no longer going to be able to and all of his conversation is going on. The people outside see him go in. <laughs> keep praying. Just pray for him. I don't know what's going on. Just keep praying. And so the people outside are praying while it's just delaying inside. And it says, while they were waiting, they were wondering because it had been such a delay. And it says, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. As he steps out, he opens it up, and they're like, what took so long? And he's like, can you imagine the charades that went down on that one? You know, where he's like, 
big angel, right? And they're like, I don't, curtain, top, no. And like they're trying to go through, how do I make it clear to you? Angel appeared to me, cannot speak, can't talk. And as he's mute and can't get his vocal cords going in the midst of it, he's unable to speak. It says, again, another humorous moment. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. They're like, I think something happened in there. (laughs) That's their observational skill set. I think something went down in there. He went in talking. He came out not talking, man. Something went down. He saw something. I wonder what's going on. They realized he had a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. He began to practice his charade skills because for the next nine months, that's how he was going to communicate with people. It says, and when his time of service was ended, he went home. I love that statement because he just went in and when he came out, he couldn't talk. I'm sure somebody somewhere had to be like, dude, are you okay? Maybe you should just go home. Maybe you should sit down and take a break. Are you all right? Maybe, and, and Zechariah was like, mm. Like, I am here. I went in to pray, and the presence of God Almighty was represented as an angel came and told me my prayer's answered. Don't you even think about taking me off duty. I am at the tabernacle. I will not move. This is my God. I serve him. And he stayed and served until his shift was done. And they're like, okay, you can go home. And he's like, going home to tell Elizabeth something now, right? And now he goes home to tell her what happened. We're not even sure how he told her other than maybe they used the magic of trying to write in some way and continue to sign, right? I just try to imagine somebody giving charades that I saw an angel who told me, baby, you're going to have a child. Just how do you get that message across without writing it out somehow, right? And in the midst of it, He ends up being released and going home. It says, and after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. Everybody say miracle. God doing an amazing work and bringing an amazing hope to a woman with amazing hurt in her life. Decades and decades and decades. And in that culture, it wasn't just the joy of having a child. It was also the shame of a group that tended to blame you if you didn't. And in fact, it says right after it. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. People would say, I don't know why God hasn't given you a child, but you must have sinned. I don't know why. I mean, the most horrible, untrue statements being made. And what was absolutely true, God is doing something unique in you. God is going to be using you in ways you cannot imagine. God is going to be doing something with you, with the load you carry, with the burden you bear, with the life you will grow into. God is going to be doing something. That's the truth. And the people shared something very other and judgmental, and small, and wrong. And Elizabeth took five months 
to just soak in this joy and privilege of the promise of a messenger coming and of the hope in him. Sweet, sweet blessing. Let's just make sure we know how this little piece of the story closes. If you want to jump to verse 57, you can see there, I won't even read 57, we'll read 64, but verse 57 just says, and Elizabeth had it clearly understood what the plan was. And Elizabeth ended up having the child, and then they took this child on the eighth day to be circumcised. And there they ask, what do you want to name the child? And Elizabeth says, we're going to name him John. And they look over at Zechariah like, yeah, dude, that's not how we do it. So I appreciate your opinion, but Zechariah, what do you want to name him? And Zechariah takes a board and writes it down. At this point, they've now got him writing utensils, and he's right. His name is John, and, and that's where they're going. His name is John. There isn't another name like him, but we name him John. In the moment he writes, his name is John. It says right then and there, boom. All of a sudden, his vocal cords are cleared. Verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and he could talk again. God has a plan. Everybody just say, God has a plan. And miracles are a part of his plan. And eternity is a part of his plan. And in this moment, the messenger is brought with miracle. Holy Spirit on him. Massive movement happening. The authority of God pressed down into this world. Jesus Christ is God Almighty. And he has all authority. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. There is none like him. And John the Baptist gets to be that messenger who ends up saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's this little one to be born. The one who gets to say, do you see the Messiah? This is why we're here. Jesus Christ, he has all authority. Everybody say all authority. May we lean in him and trust in him. He is the King of Kings. And all of God's people said, and Merry Christmas, that God has stepped into this world, God with us. Our all authority, all power, King of Kings, hope, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.